gospel, Matthew chapter 28, title of our message is The Great Commission. I'll uh, let you know what led up to this, so we're just going through the Bible and I'm just week by week praying that the Lord will kind of guide me and direct me and, and show me. Um, you know, we're going away from the what we're used to, right, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, precept upon precept. But we're, we're just looking at what the Bible has to say. And so we're jumping back and forth from the Old Testament to the New Testament and just getting some, some awesome little just accounts that are within the pages of Scripture. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> we're going to jump around, so be ready to jump around. But um, we're looking at the Great Commission, Greatest Stories Ever Told, number nine. Father, thank you for just this time together, Lord. We thank you for the wonder of your creation we thank you, Father, for just um, having us here together, and we just pray that you bless this time as we open up the pages of your scripture. Lord, that we would just get a glimpse of your heart and um, what the gospel, what we're supposed to do with it. And so bless, Father, our time together, and uh, just be with us as we interact with one another in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So I was watching a video clip of this guy, and he was like angry. He was a young guy sharing about uh, what God has called us to. And he was really, really putting down, um, it seemed. And it's just from my perspective, you know, from what I was watching. He was right on, but it seemed like he was really, really putting down um, sharing the gospel on a mass scale because we're called to make disciples. And so it, it... it was a good message. It, it like spurred me on. It got me excited. But at the same time, when I heard it, I was like, well, no, that doesn't really sound 100% accurate. I mean, so I, I went back and I said, well, what does the Great Commission say? And you can't get it from one chapter or one book in the Bible. You have to get it from all four Gospels. And then it continues on in the book of Acts. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what the Great Commission is and what God outlines and delineates and we'll talk about it and again um i understand his heart i understand what he was saying that we are called to make disciples but you can't make a disciple if you don't have a convert you got to share the gospel to see somebody converted to christ right and then we're called to make disciples of that convert and so i think that is something that's important for us and if you look at america and what we um you know we're like a the consumer uh uh, country, right? Nation in the world, uh, small, small, small little nation. But we can ov- we consume the overwhelming majority of the resources in the world. If you don't know that, we do. Um, and and you almost see it influence the church in mass evangelism. Um, and then what happens to those who give their lives to Christ? They should be discipled, and that's our job, right? That's that's our responsibility as Christians. And so. Let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go command, therefore, and make command disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe All things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so Matthew's is where we get the understanding of the Great Commission, 
And so we're to go and make disciples, right? Jump over to Mark's gospel, chapter 16. Mark, next book over, chapter 16. Mark 16, starting at verse 15. And he said to them, Jesus, go, command, into all the world and preach, command, the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So you see the signs following those who are going to go and preach the gospel. And so a little different, would it, would, is it not, than Matthew's gospel? Yeah, right? So a little different than Matthew's gospel. Matthew's is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them uh, all things that I've commanded, and lo, I'm with you. Mark's gospel is not only giving us the fact that we're going to go into the world and preach the gospel, which Matthew's gospel didn't tell us. It said, go and make disciples of all nations. So you have to be a convert before you can be discipled. Okay? We're not just teaching people how to live as a Christian because we would be setting up to fail. That's why it's never supposed... Morality is, is, is it's futile to... Um, I don't know what it's called... Um, like when the, when the government begins to um, make laws based on morality, it's, it's kind of messed up because people need to be converted to be able to obey the truths of God. So remember 1 Corinthians chapter, I think it's 2.14, but the natural man does not understand the things of, of the Lord or of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned, neither can he um, know them. And so people who are unregenerate they can't obey, so we're setting them up to fail. I wanted to be good before I was a Christian. Weird like that, but I just, I wanted to be a good boy, and I couldn't. I would always just fail. And it wasn't until the Spirit of the living God came and dwelt in me, and then from the inside out, he began to do a work, and I was like, whoa, God is doing supernaturally through my life what I could never do in my own strength. I could be good for a little while, or I could behave for a little while, but ultimately my own my goal, as, and right before I came to the Lord, was just I didn't want to get caught. And so I just began to learn how to, well, I can't be good, so I'll just sneak around. I'll just do these things that I know I shouldn't do, but I just hope I never get caught. And then I came to the Lord, and wow, that was just a transformation from the inside out, and God began to do this good work. So, uh, interesting, we'll come back to that, casting out demons, speak with new tongues, take up serpents, uh, drink anything deadly, they will by no means hurt them, uh, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I will say this, um, you know, this is predominantly seen today on the mission field. Because we have so much money and hospitals and, and we look to man to fix things, in America we, we really don't experience a lot of these things. But when you're out in the woods, when you're out in the backside of some hill and you're in a village in some remote, you know, land, you got nothing but God to, be, to, bend, de, to depend on. And you see healing and you see miracles take place. And so unfortunately, we, we pray once and run to the doctor or, you know, pray once and drop two pills. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, where when you don't have access to that, you just... 
you're, you're left to God. Turn to Luke's gospel, chapter 24. We're going to be in verses 20, 45 through 49. Luke 24, 45 through 49. So Jesus is walking with these two guys on the road to Emmaus, and he opens their eyes in the breaking of bread. And then he shares this. Luke 24, 45 through 49. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Sounds like the gospel, huh? And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So here we have even a little different addition to what he has said. Here we have the addition of repentance for the remission of sins. Um, We definitely have the gospel, right? The life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And then he says, but before you go, I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Go to Jerusalem and tarry there, okay? Um, John's Gospel, chapter 20. We'll look at verses 21 through 23. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John's Gospel, chapter 20, starting at verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Them, if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So it is believed that here is where the disciples receive the Spirit with them. They were born again. That's what this is. So when we are born again, we receive the Holy Spirit. He comes and he dwells in us. When you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. But this isn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he spoke of in Luke's gospel. So again, if you put all four of these Gospels together, you must be born again. You need to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. You need to preach the Gospel so that people can be converted. And then, with those that have been converted, you need to baptize. I mean, you need to make disciples, disciple them. Okay? So jump over to Acts chapter 1, the next book. So we went Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The next book is the book of Acts, chapter 1. So it should be one page over or so, right? Should have got that one pretty quick if you have a... And we're going to read verses 4 through 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So what are they saying? Lord, yes, finally, kingdom set up on earth. Woo, we're going to rule and reign with you, Jesus, finally. Yes. They've been asking his whole ministry, haven't they? They've been waiting for it. Lord, when you come into your kingdom, can I sit at your right hand and maybe my brother sit on your left? And everyone else gets mad because they didn't ask him first, right? I like Jesus' response, verse 7, and he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the word witness is the, the word in the Greek, martis, from which we get our English word, martyr. Okay, so you're going to be a witness. You're not going to go out and witness. You're going to be a witness. And so a martyr or a martyr is somebody who dies. Jesus said, all who would come after me must first deny himself, take up your cross, instrument of death, and follow me. Okay, and so I don't know. Americans' brand of Christianity is kind of a potpourri or smorgasbord, buffet bar type of Christianity. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. So you, you, you step up to the buffet, right? You got your plate in hand, maybe two. I feel that, you know. And you get to pick what you like and as much of it. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times, that's what Christianity looks like in America, where we pick and choose what attributes of God we like or are impressed with, what things we want to obey and not obey. And if we don't want to obey it, we just discard it or ignore it or pretend that I wasn't convicted that one time when I was. And then before you know it, we're just running our lives. We're living our own lives. We're um, picking and choosing what we're going to obey and what we're not going to obey. And I don't think that's really God's brand of Christianity. God's brand of Christianity is something altogether. He wants you to die. He wants an all or nothing type of proposition. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that he bought you with a price. Therefore, because he bought you with a price, glorify God with your body. And the way we do that is we present our members as a living sacrifice. What's the problem with a living sacrifice? When you lay a living sacrifice on the altar, what does it do? It jumps off. Oh, hot. Oh, uncomfortable, right? So when we get uncomfortable, a lot of times we, boom, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to go too deep. I don't want to do too much. And so normal biblical Christianity is radical, okay? So all of us should be living radical lives, sold out lives, just crazy passionate on fire. For Jesus, he didn't give us a bit of him, a piece of him, um, didn't hold anything back. He went all the way, right? Hebrews chapter 12 says he endured to the point of death on the cross. Uh, something like that. I think it's verses three and on. Okay. Jump over now to Second Timothy chapter two with me. That's way in the middle of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, oh no, Romans, we forgot Romans after Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, 1st, 2nd Timothy chapter 2, the last book that Paul would write, it is believed. So he writes in verses 1 and 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, when you get it, say verses 1 and 2, You therefore, my son, speaking to young Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul, taking the gospel, would basically find a young person that he could pour into, and then he would tell that person once he's poured into them you find somebody that you can pour into and i believe that's what we are called to do with the gospel with the great commission with the fact that we need to see converts 
And then those converts need to be discipled. And I want you to imagine two people. One person has the ability to win 10,000 people a day to the Lord. Dang, not serious, huh? But this other person is able to disciple one person a year. And then he's going to pour into them through a relationship. And through that relationship, he is going to tell him, all right, you find somebody next year after this first year, and you do the same. And that will be multiplication as opposed to addition. And so we have this first guy here. He's going to take 10,000 people a day, 365,000 people the first year. And this person is going to pour into one person. Who's going to win the world first? You would, I mean, it's crazy, right? (laughs) You would know that it's 10,000 people a day. Come on. Every day, 365,000 people a year. Every year. 365,000 plus 365,000 plus 365,000. One man the first year. Oh, year two. Two people, year two. Oop, year three. Four people, right? You would know that this guy would reach the world first, but it really is this guy. At about year 25, they're, they're pretty close, neck and neck. I think uh, at year 25, the guy who's just discipling one guy and then he's telling that guy to find one guy to disciple and have a relationship with somebody for a year and take them, take them through the scriptures. Let them know how much God loves them. Pour into them. Teach them the doctrines. Just disciple somebody. Have a relationship with somebody. At year 25, that guy, he has 16,736,236. Where the guy who shared 10,000, he has 9 million. 16 to 9 million. That's the year that it, it, it just takes off. Before that year 24, there's 8 million and 8 million. But, but at year 25, and how long would it get to one, uh, uh, 8 billion? There's 7 billion in the world right now? 7.1 or 8? 8, 1.1? 8. Eight. Okay, so there's 8 billion people. At year 34, 8 billion plus with the guy who just doubled. Only 12 million. Not even affect America in 34 years. Okay, the difference? The difference is, is that the relationship that he's building with them individually is, is um, a lot better than just, um, just winning someone to the Lord and having them say, okay, yeah, I, accept, I accept the Lord, and then having them go on their own way, find their own church, find their own... You know, it's, it's a little bit more, and that's one of, one of the things that me and my friend Lonnie were talking about today, than just to to um, have someone convert and have someone accept the Lord, because after they after you've accepted the Lord, there's more to it. You know, if God gave that person to you, and and they accept the Lord from you, you should you know try to find resources for them now, because otherwise you just leave them out in the open, and they're just going to fall right back into the world. Okay. So we're not saying that it's bad to share the gospel with people and have them come to the Lord. We're not saying that that's bad. And we're not saying that, um, that if you only share the gospel with somebody that 
it's not going to produce, if you will, these numbers. These numbers are just, it's, a, it's the multiplication as opposed to the additional process. So one guy is doing this work of 10,000 a day, and so he's adding. He's just adding 365,000 plus 365, is that what it is, 360, the first year? Yeah, 365,000, and then 730,000, and then 1,095,000. So here's, I guess, let me throw this question out to you guys. Um, This guy, in the message that he was sharing, said, nowhere in the Bible do you find this, pray this prayer and go to heaven. How many of you have heard that? Okay. So do you agree or disagree? Is that something that we can have somebody... We call it the sinner's prayer, right? You've seen it at a Billy Graham crusade. You've seen it at a Greg Laurie cr- crusade, right? He leads them in a prayer. You've seen it in any altar call. Go ahead. Well, I'm asking. So what we do, we want to make sure that we do something that's biblical. Because I've heard this multiple times. How many of you have heard this more than once? I've heard it over and over that there is no such thing as this magical prayer. And I understand they're, they're almost condescending in the words that they use to explain it. But the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, does clearly say that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I think that's where the idea of having leading somebody in a prayer. Now, somebody said that you have to mean it in your heart and all that. I got to be honest with you. Uh, my conversion was supernatural from the get-go, from Jump Street. I don't remember the message. I don't remember the prayer. I don't remember. It. I think we put a lot of emphasis on this magical prayer, but I think it's a work of the spirit behind the scenes. It was the moment that I needed to be saved that God decided to save me regardless of. And, and I think sometimes we, oh, brother, you, you know, you didn't, you didn't do the formula. Well, the formula is not really saving people. I mean, Jesus is coming literally and physically to individuals in Muslim countries in dreams appearing to them physically and they're giving their lives to God and they're being born again. And there's no prayer, if you will, but they're, they're coming to faith in Christ because he's revealing himself to them. But I, I, think, I think there's nothing wrong, again, with leading somebody in a prayer. But when I hear these things, I do kind of wonder, like, well, there is Romans. The Philippian jailers, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay, So lift up the cross, but don't leave out the resurrection when you share the gospel because the cross is what's going to draw people to God. Jesus said it in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that what? He may draw all men Unto himself. The message of the cross, Romans says, is foolishness to those who perish. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. First Corinthians, for I came to you preaching nothing but the cross. Christ and him crucified. Okay? So we elevate, we lift up Jesus, we point people to Jesus, dying for their sins on the cross once we show them that they are sinners. How do we do that? The law. Psalm chapter 19 says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So you hold them accountable to the law. I think Ray Comfort does it just about as good as anybody I've seen. Have you ever told a lie? 
Let me think. Uh, shut up, you're lying right now. Yeah, you've told a lie. <laughs> what, does, what does that make you? That makes me a liar. Have you ever stolen anything, whether small or large? Yeah, I took that pencil one day from class. But that's the only thing I stole. You're lying again. Okay, so what does that make you? That makes me a lying thief, right? And on and on. And so have you ever looked at a person with desire who didn't belong to you? What is that? Jesus said that you've committed adultery. So that makes you a lying, thieving adulterer. And then he just takes them through about three or four of the commandments, 10 commandments. Just pick whichever ones you want. We're all liars. So you, you go ahead and go there. I mean, maybe some of you have never told a lie. I don't know. But I mean, at some point, you know, we're guilty. Bottom line, we're guilty. Now, if you were committed, you had committed a crime and you go before the judge, look at the, 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 the reasons we give God or we tell people we're going to give God when we stand before him in heaven. Well, but I do a lot of good things. Okay, let's see. You stole the car. You crashed into a building. So there's property damage in excess of $300,000. You, you, uh, what is it called when you steal a car? Uh, Grand Theft Auto. So Grand Theft Auto, property damage of over $300,000. And you stand before the judge and you're like, yeah, I did those things. But dude, I walked that lady across the street after she got her groceries at Ralph's supermarket. I do good things. He's like, well, I'm, I'm glad you do good things but what does that have to do with grand theft auto and property damage of three hundred thousand dollars are you guilty or not all of us before a holy perfect god are what unfortunately we're all guilty and nothing imperfect god declares is ever going to go to heaven so because of that we have a problem but god had a solution so before we share the bad or the good news of the gospel, just say this prayer, give your life to Jesus. I remember one of my, my friends, we were, we were bus drivers early, early, early when I first started. And I remember he picked up this Baptist group and all they wanted to do to them is just say this prayer, just say this prayer, this prayer is magic, man. Just say the prayer. And he's like, all right, I'll say the prayer. And guess what happened to his life? Nothing, nothing. He continued to be the biggest sinner that, you know, walked town. So <laughs> you have to share the bad news. People need to know that they're guilty and there has to be a, a remorse for your condition, like heaven or hell. And you can use an extreme example of, for hell. If somebody rapes somebody and kills them, what do they deserve? But they got away with it. I was listening to Ray Comfort actually today, and he said that there are X amount of murders in, in California. I think he said L.A., so where we live right here, you know, L.A., right? Um, and he said 50% of them go unsolved. Never, ever to be brought to justice. Can a holy, righteous, just God wink at that? murders rapes and then murders if that was happened to you wouldn't you want some form of man the government let me down or the police or these people were so good they covered their tracks so well nobody could find them out guess what god saw them right and so in that i think there's there's people are able to see man yeah that's not right that's got to be reckoned with right and so any questions on any of the verses? Because I, I threw a lot at you, but I do want to instill um, if there's a, kind of an application to this. Are you discipling somebody? Why not? Why, why aren't we just, why aren't we spending time with a person? 
and then telling them, hey, go. Who cannot have a relationship with one person for one year? It doesn't even have to be taxing. Maybe 15 minutes a week. Hey, you want to meet for a little iced tea? Come by, let's talk about some truth. It might take two hours one day, and then it might take... I think discipleship, no. I think discipleship should definitely be, if it's systematic and you're, and you're meeting with them on a regular basis, it'll take two years if you see them maybe once a month. But if you, I mean, people have like a life, right? They're living their life. And they have issues that come up in their life. And if you met with them once a week, you'd be able to talk about, hey, so what happened? To, oh my gosh, man, at work. Whoo, man, these people are trying to, you know. Well, let's see what the scripture says about that. God says, forgive your enemies. Oh, what? Forgive your what? Right? And you begin to take them through whatever it is. One thing I learned, I I went to a a week course on counseling through the book that we went through, um, Self-Confrontation in Palm Springs. And if there was one thing that they stressed, it was just relationship, relationship with people. And a lot of people struggle with, well, I don't know what to read in the Bible. I don't know where to go. Why, why don't you go where you're struggling or where you have questions? The Bible has the answers. You, you probably have a, a weekly current dilemma, right? Problem? Question that somebody asked you that you didn't know the answer? Hey, why don't you go there that day? And then just be able to see what the Bible has to say about that topic, about what you're questioning, about what you're struggling with, about what you're wondering about. That's a good place to go. That's what they taught me because the Bible's real and God wants to speak to us through it. So if there is a struggle, and I, I think with the wonder of the age that we live in, Google and the internet can be bad, 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 but guess what? It can be darn good. Man, you ask it the right question, I'm on Google all the time. Ask it the right question. You ask it the wrong question, you be careful what you're asking. But you ask it the right question, and I kind of learned, I guess, through trial and error, what the right and what the wrong, you know, you got scripture talks about this or whatever, you know, because if you just throw a topic up, ooh, yeah, you got what Bible verse says and talks about this or what scripture says, da, 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 and it'll, it'll give you, it'll, it'll give you verses after verses, and then you got to read them in their context, and you got to know, well, what's, what's the history here? What's going on? Okay. So any questions on Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, on, on the Great Commission? Anything that was said there? Anything stand out that you were questioning or wondering or like we're hoping? Ooh, I can't wait till he tells us what this one means. Because some of them are good. Okay. 16. Uh, 15. Where, why did he say preach the gospel to every creature? Creation. People. His creation. Because some people think you're going to go. Yeah, you can't preach it to a dog. Dog doesn't have a spirit. Dog has a soul and a body. We are the only yeah creature. If you looked at the the Greek word, I'm sure it's people, God's creation. I think that's why people take stuff out of context, and like it says, where where you can pick up serpents, and you have these churches that are walking around with serpents all over the church. I think I think Paul gives us the best example for that. What he lands on the island of what Malta, and he's working for the Lord, gathering wood sticks for fire, right? And a serpent latches onto him and bites him, and they're, they're waiting for him to die, and he doesn't die, and then they begin to worship him, and he's like, no, 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 I'm not a god. 
but I'll point you to God. So yeah, while we're obeying the Lord, while we're serving God, while we're obedient to what he calls us to, if a serpent happens to, we're not drinking the snake's poison to test God. Satan tried to get Jesus to test God. Hey, why don't you jump down? It says angels will catch you. It is written, thou shalt not test the Lord. We don't test God. But as we are faithful and things happen, God's got our back. He's looking out for us. That's the context, and that's what God means. Anybody else? So that's why. Creatures is God's creation. The only part of God's creation, the apple of his eye, that is created in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit, as God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit. So the spirit, animals don't have a spirit. But they have a little personality, don't they? (laughs) So um, where did you find that? Or where is that where it talks about animals not having a spirit, but they have a soul? Good question. No idea. (laughs) I have tried to look that Is there a scripture, Brian, that says animals... Nothing at all. I think it's just out of context. They well, talk about the man having created a spirit. Right. Well, in Thessalonians, it says that we are body, soul, spirit. Yeah, and and I've never say that. I've never seen that about animals. But we know that they have a personality, and that's our soul. Our soul has a personality, right? That's. And I think in Genesis two, uh, God distinguishes his creation of man, saying, "I'm making man in our image." Uh huh. For sure. After he had already made the yes. Animals. I think this is very good. I've also heard somewhere, like in heaven, that there are animals. There's got to be animals. Yeah, there are animals in the the new heaven. Talks about them coming, uh, the Lord coming on a horse. Yeah. Yeah. If you need animals, this is how I've heard it answered all the time. If you need animals in heaven to be fulfilled, God will have animals for you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just, we'll leave it at that. Because there's people that are diehard animal lovers and they can imagine. But there's people that are killer surfers and there's no beach. So, I mean, figure that one out. But remember, the, 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 our golden objective is to plant seeds. And any one of us can do that, can we not? So don't make it more difficult than in, that people have a different level of a gift. Billy Graham is, is undeniably the apostle of our generation, right? As he's, as he's close to being called home with the Lord. His son, Franklin Graham, has definitely... A different gift, but taken over, and he does a great job. Uh, Greg Laurie, in our circle, is incredible in America at what he does. In Latin America, I remember it was Luis Palau, who was just a great evangelist in Puerto Rico and in the, those Spanish countries. Um, turn to a, or I'm going to read you out of Ephesians 4. So in Ephesians, well, I end here. Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 11, Let me read it to you. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Notice why he gave us these for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And it just goes on and on that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things, bless you, into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
If you look at everything that he's saying, what is he saying? He's saying when this deceit comes and you're, you're discipling that person, you can help them. You can show them. You can give them the scriptures that they need to be encouraged. You can, you can show them that God is with them. He'll never leave them or forsake them. And, and just all of that. And I think that's why discipleship is so effective because it's a relationship. It's relationship driven. God is not willing that any man should perish, but that all would come to repentance. I will say this. I heard a message this week from Pastor Chuck Smith as I was um, listening to Cutting the Grass with my headphones on. And I remember he said, it's foolish for us to talk. Um, he, He talked about the free will. We all have a free will. And God will not usurp a person's free will. In other words, God will not force himself upon anybody. And so what we, but Satan doesn't play by rules. Satan is blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. And he wants to keep them blind. And so he mentioned, though God won't force his will upon them, we can pray God binds Satan, removes Satan's plan from their life, so that when I do share with them, their eyes can at least be open and they can understand what it is I'm sharing with them. And if we don't do that, then Satan will keep them blind, is what he was sharing. And I thought that was a powerful point that we realize this is spiritual it's not it's not intellectual we're not talking somebody into the kingdom of god we're not arm wrestling through a better argument somebody into the kingdom of god we are sharing truth but realize that the god of this world satan has blinded the minds of those who do not believe and they are held captive And so when we pray, God, remove that barrier, remove Satan from this person, remove the plant. Now, God can do that because he has all power to pull Satan apart away. And in the moment that we do share, now those seeds are actually falling on a place where they can take growth, on good soil. The soil in the parable of the the sower is the heart. And it's the heart condition that people don't want to, Why did Jesus speak in parables? Because people don't want to believe. So when we share with them, they still don't want to believe, right? The condition of their heart is such that they don't want to believe. Lord, soften their heart. Lord, remove the obstacle. Lord, take away the blinders. As I share with them, Lord, let those seeds fall on a good heart. It's a spiritual thing. And then when they receive it, when they give into it, then we're like, to God be the glory. God, you did a work. Just for an angel for you, God's using you in their life. Even though they're mocking you, by doing that, they're hearing you. Yeah. And so just be a light. And when God puts them to the point where they're, like what Joey's saying, when that guy came to his end, now he's turning back. So they are hearing you. Just keep shining, keep faithful, keep praying. And when the time is right, they will start asking the right questions. Right now, I think they're just doing that not to get answers. Father, we lift up all of these people that we are able to share with, these people that you bring into our lives. And Father, I pray that you would put a hunger upon our hearts to pour into lives, that we would do the uncomfortable thing of spending time with people and helping them see the truth of the scriptures, the love that you have for them, Lord. Nobody can argue with your word because It's alive, it's living, it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it has the ability to pierce between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
And so, Lord, I pray that we would be bold in you, but that we would be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. And so help us, Lord. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the great commission. And we pray, Father, that we wouldn't give in to uh, the cultural norms that we see around us, but that we would be biblically astute, walking in obedience to what you've called us to, and living the normal Christian life will look radical. And so help us, Lord, as uh, we want to please you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.